So you can imagine um, on that first holy night, it probably wasn't quiet. It probably wasn't a silent night or anything like that. It was, it was obviously, it was holy. But if you can think about all that was happening that particular night, you know, um, I think for most of us, we probably get introduced to the Christmas season as children. And I remember in my own childhood that, that uh, I was uh, one of the ones who was responsible for setting up the family manger scene. I think it was bought then at Sears and Roebuck and had the, the house and, and everything that went around that. And we had it on the old uh, coffee table that was about this high. It was dark wood and it sat in the living room. It may still even be at my parents' house today. Um, they have lots of tables and that one probably has survived through the years. And I remember setting it all up and looking at that and I would put the baby Jesus down in some hay and then I would take uh, Mary and I would take Joseph and then I would bring around some of the angels and then the shepherds and the sheep and then I brought the cows that were lowing. I have no idea what lowing means, but the lowing cows were there and, and, and all of a sudden it was like, wow, it's Christmas time. But I'm not sure that um, our childhood manger scenes or even our adult manger scenes really tell the story, do they? I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, here was probably a 13 and a half, 14-year-old girl who was betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, um, and she is given a child. That child is God in the flesh. It's what we call the incarnation. And Jesus is in the womb of Mary. And, and think about it for a second that, that you know, they're traveling to, to a, a rough spot in, in, a, in a place that, that they have to go because of the census. And, and the journey is probably 80 to 120 miles on uh, the back of a donkey. Now, I remember when I took Patty to uh, deliver our first child, Leanne, that it was in a beat up Buick Skylark. So it's probably a little bit more luxury than on a donkey, right? And, and so, so she's nine months pregnant and they, they get into Bethlehem and there's no room because the census is being taken and it's been overwhelmed by all these refugees coming home for the census. And then we have this vision that, oh, they go to this little cave or whatever, folks. Um, it wasn't a cave, it was, it was like a cave, but it was probably underneath the inn where they hid all the animals that when the guests came to, to stay at the inn, they put all the animals down there so that the animals could weather the storms that would come. Because in that time of year, the weather was always bad. It was cold and, and wretched and those things. So, so there in this cold, wretched, damp cave, unsanitary, um, you know, no, um, no meds for um, pregnancy or anything like that, you know, Jesus is born. And we see that he's born in this particular stable. One of the song, O Holy Night, um, there, there's a verse that I really want us to focus on today, and it's kind of the, the crux of where I want to go. And, and, and as they sang today, it's, it's a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Okay? A thrill of hope, this weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If there's two words that describe the world today, in my opinion, it's weary world. Would you agree? I mean, I think we're, we're probably at the weariest portion in our world that, that we probably have ever been. Why are we weary? We're working long hours. We're, we're away from our families. We're, um, we're, we're dealing with lots of debt because we're trying to keep up with the world. Um, we're, we've got health issues. We've, we've got uh, economic challenges at times. We've got, you know, employment challenges. So we live in a weary world where a lot of things are happening. But I love what this song says, a thrill of hope. A thrill of hope. And, I, and those are some, kind of the words I want us to hold on today. A thrill of hope. Imagine the, the chaos of that night, you know, and of what happens. But, but God 
make something happen. God is present. Can you imagine the people who, who waited hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah to come and, and at some time God is going to deliver us. God will come as our Messiah. And on that particular night when Jesus was born, that prophecy happened. And it was a new and glorious morn that, that burst in. In 586, the city of, of Jerusalem was ransacked. And we talked a little bit about this a couple of um, uh, series ago when we talked about Daniel. And we know that many of the, the well, uh, healthy men were taken away to Babylon and the rest were left in Jerusalem. Well, remember the prophet Jeremiah? He remained in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah is going through a time of lamentation. Lamenting over something means kind of a, a, a gut level rendering of our heart that you were just so overcome with emotion and, and overcome with just sorrow that you were just pouring it out, crying out to God. And Jeremiah sees what's happening to the people of, as they have been left in the ransacked after Babylon had come and just destroyed everything that was there. Jerusalem lay in rubble and Jeremiah is seeing the people the weariness, the weariness that's upon them. And he begins to write some lamentations. And here's one of the things that he says. He says, I well remember them and my soul is downcast. I'm remembering the people of Jerusalem. My soul is downcast within me, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I have hope. You know, it's almost as if he has to remind himself that he needs to have hope. I mean, have you ever been in a place in your life where, where you've had to literally remind yourself, I need to be a person of hope. I need to have hope. I need to find hope. I need to hold on to hope. And he says he calls it to the forefront of his mind, which gives us a great clue. Listen, not all of us are Pollyanna. Not all of us have rose-colored glasses that we see the world through. Most of us are resonating on all the problems and all the challenges and all the, the, the discord that's happening. And we have to call from the back of our mind to the forefront of our mind the hope that comes. Have you ever had a conversation with yourself? Anybody else besides me do that? There's some weird stuff I say to myself. Do you say that to you too? Yeah. If you knew what I said, no, we won't go there. That's another sermon. But, but, you know, you have a conversation. So we have to remind ourselves. We have to say, self, remember to have hope. Self, don't think of all the wrong. Don't think of the weariness. So self, have the hope that comes. Jeremiah continues to write, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. He's talking to God. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him <clears throat> and to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. What he's saying is there's something that happens when we wait for Jesus. We like to get ahead of Jesus, don't we? We like to be figuring it out on our own. We like to, to forget that, that we have an awesome God, but that maybe we're awesome. And he says that we need to have the hope that comes in the life of Jesus. So here's a couple of uh, things I wanna give to you today um, as we look at this, um, this song, Oh Holy Night. A couple of uh, points to just let's soak in. Here's the first one. A new day in Christ will bring exactly what you need. Say the word need. Okay, notice I didn't say what you want. Difference here. It's what you need. 
And, and that's the promise that, that God gives us is, is what you need. Um, so many of us, we need to be reminded that within the Lord we find our portion. We find our portion in the Lord. What is the word portion? What does he mean by portion? We, we read that in scripture, the Lord is our portion. It's likely taking us back into the Exodus where, where basically uh, the Hebrews are leaving the oppression of Egypt and they find themselves wandering in the desert without food and they're just, just, just ragging on Moses. What'd you do, bring us out in the desert to die? We don't have any food out here. So what does God do? God sends pepperoni pizzas from heaven. Okay, that's what I wanna think manna is. I, I, you know, that's just me. And maybe every now and then a burrito. But anyway, um, so, so God sends manna down. What is manna? Manna, manna is, is a food. We don't really know what it was, but we know that it, it, it was uh, nutritious, that it had enough protein. It was a well-balanced meal according to, okay. But um, so they, they ate it. But, but here was the trick. When God dropped the manna to the ground, they could gather it up in the morning, they would gather up their need, they would eat throughout the day, and, and at a certain time of the day, as it got into the Sabbath, into the evening, guess what? It all spoiled. So they couldn't hoard it. They couldn't like build a barn and stack it up. They couldn't be like, I have more manna than you, or they couldn't be playing cards going, I raise your manna too, or whatever, you know? Uh, they couldn't do that, because God wanted them to rely on him. He wanted them to know that he was their portion and that every day they had to awaken knowing that God would provide for them. I think that's why Jesus, when he taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer, he said, um, you know, give us this day our daily what? Bread. So we're to rely on God every day and God promises to fill us with that which we need. So, so when we think about God is my portion, here, here's something I just kind of want to flip out there. Um, whatever your challenge is in life, whatever your challenge or struggle is that you're going through right now, whatever challenge or struggle or brick wall that you're going to hit in the future, because trust me, they're going to always come, you need to know that, that whatever is happening in your present day, God is already working a solution for your tomorrow. So as you're in it today... God is already saying, okay, tomorrow, I'm gonna provide a way through this because the scriptures tell us that God doesn't prevent things from happening to us, but it says that God is always with us through that. Jesus said, I will be with you always until the end of time, until the end of the age, until the end of the situation. So, so if you're struggling in a, um, a situation right now, you need to know that, that, that God is providing an out, God is providing a solution, God is providing whatever you need already in your tomorrow. So, so if, you're in a, if you're in a marriage problem, if your marriage is in trouble, today you're feeling the stress and strain of a, of a challenged marriage, God is already working tomorrow to help you find that solution, to help make that marriage good again. If you are uh, struggling with your health, God is working tomorrow already to help you find a different perspective for your health and maybe a different route to take to deal with your health. If you are depressed today, God is working tomorrow to be your joy, to overcome all the obstacles that you have in your life. You just have to trust that. And that's what Jeremiah is trying to help us to understand in these lamentations, but also the fact that in Christ, all things are possible. So here's the, here's the second thing I wanna take you with today. A new day in Christ will bring us the hope to keep going. It's the thrill of hope in a weary world. It's, it's the new morning that will come when all we can see is darkness. God promises that if all you can see is darkness right now, that he'll bring the light. 
And that's why we see a lot of um, illustrative examples in scripture about darkness and light. Light usually means evil. Light usually means discontent, or excuse me, darkness means evil. Darkness means discontent. Light means God's presence that brings us through that. So we see this promise that comes here. You know, someone once said these words. They said, you can live 40 days without food. You can live eight days without water. Um, you, can, you can live four, or four minutes without oxygen. And you can live four seconds without hope. So think about that. Hope is so important, and that's something that we have to hold on to. And I think today, too many people, when they're trying to survive on hope, what we do is we don't, we don't invest in the right thing. We invest in the things that the world tells us. I mean, what's the number one industry in, in, in America? It's advertising. Advertising is built on telling you what you don't have and why you need something else, so therefore you'll go invest in that. You know, if you, if you don't have hair, here's a product to help you grow it. If you have too long or don't like the color of your hair, here's a color a color to change it. If you've got this, that, here, buy this, buy that. And we invest in all the wrong things. But here's the point that, that we need to look at. You know, if you know, we don't need to be investing in our economy the way that we do. Why? Because one tweet and it all tanks. We, we don't need to be investing in, in, in the things of the world. We need to be finding our hope that comes in, in Jesus Christ. I love what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us hold unswervingly, unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Unswervingly, don't you just love that word, unswervingly? It's like, kinda like, hey, I learned a new word today, church, unswervingly. The hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. So we don't invest in our, our, our hope in relationships because those can end. We don't invest our hope in our job because a layoff can happen. We invest our hope in Christ because that will never change. He's the foundation, he's the bedrock of, of who we are. When it comes to hope though, we have to hold on to it. And I think my experience in life and as I've walked the journey with many of you, even in my own life, I find out that sometimes we lose hope because we can't see it, we don't remind ourselves that God is our portion, and therefore we gravitate to the trouble that's in our life. That if I could just gravitate toward that, and what happens is, is that draws us into our fears. When we draw into those things, we draw into our fears. And our fears overwhelm us. And our fears take away who we are. But God says, I am your portion, and hold on to that. Talking about darkness and, and a hope in the morning, in, in August of 2014, um, I received a, a call on my cell phone. It was my father-in-law calling me. And I answered the phone, happy to talk to him. He and my mother-in-law were in Blairsville at their cabin, but the voice on the other end wasn't his. And he identified himself as a deputy sheriff of the Union County Sheriff's Department in Georgia. Folks, if you get that kind of phone call, guess what? It's not good news. And what he told me was is that mom was okay, but, but that Patty's dad had a massive cardiac incident. And they were immediately air transporting him to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was a couple, of, uh, a couple hundred miles up the road from where they were. And, and Joyce, her mother, somebody was there and decided that they'd take her to the hospital. We jumped in the car. And let me tell you, it was the longest 13 hours 
than I think I've ever driven in my life. And as we're driving down, we're wondering about this darkness that we're in. We're wondering about this weary world that we're living in. We're looking for this, this hope that can come and we weren't seeing it yet. And as we're making this drive down there, all these things were going through our mind. What happened? Why did it happen? There were no signs that this would happen. He was in good health. You know, how come, how come, how come? But all we knew was that he was on life support and we hoped we could get there. When we got there, we embraced her mother, we went in, we listened to the physicians. They said that he's gone. His body's still breathing. His body's just going through the motions because we've pumped him with so many drugs and the ventilator, but he's gone. He wouldn't even respond to a knife into his foot with any kind of pain. He was dead. So we had to make the decision that no one ever wants to make. Remove the life support. And we prayed. We took her mother back to the hotel and we all just cried through the whole night and we lived in that darkness and felt so alone and, and we weren't sure what the next day would bring. And I remember we got in the car the next morning and we had to drive to the funeral home in, in Chattanooga because we needed to make arrangements to have his body prepared to be shipped back to Florida so that we could have his um, burial at the um, Florida National Cemetery in Bushnell. And I remember as we're driving, I don't know if you've ever been in Tennessee, but every time I've been in Tennessee, whether it's Nashville or whether it's um, uh, Chattanooga, it's always been cloudy. It's almost like London weather, although I've never been to London, read about it. But it was cloudy and it was, you know, uh, there was no light. It was just cloudy, dreary, rainy. And we're driving with all this in our mind. And I swear in, in one instant, a cloud opened a hole like a fissure and one beam of light came from the heavens to the earth. And we saw that. And we knew a new day had come. That hope had arrived. That the weary world could now rejoice once again. Let me tell you, there's somebody in the room, maybe there's a couple of you in the room this morning, you're really struggling through something right now. You're going through some things that you thought you'd never have to go through. Let me tell you, you need to hang on let me tell you, you have to have hope. If you feel like you can't have hope, then you need to pray about hope until you believe you have hope. You can't cash it in. You can't throw away the dream. You can't let your life become nothing. You have to have hope. Surround yourself with believers. Lament to God. Know that God is blessing you through the darkest of nights. And just as God brought the Savior into the world on that holy night, God brings Jesus into your life right now. You see, the final thing that we need to look at is this. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. The night is nearly over and the day is almost here. Darkness is nearly over and the sun will rise again. Darkness is nearly over because the Son of God has risen. And Jesus Christ is your light, amen?